Welcome to the Pulse Podcast. I'm Amelia Sullivan. While COVID-19 has many of us staying at home and practicing social distance, there's been a lot of activity on Capitol Hill to address the pandemic, some of which will pertain directly to you and your profession. Justin Elliott, APTA's Vice President of Government Affairs, joins us on this special episode of the Pulse Podcast to discuss what's happening in Congress, what's to come, and what APTA is doing to advocate on behalf of the profession. Here's our conversation with Justin. So Justin, we've got a lot to talk about today, um, but first let's have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your department within APTA. Hi, I'm Justin Elliott. I'm the Vice President of Government Affairs at the American Physical Therapy Association. So sure, uh, Government Affairs is basically the uh, department within APTA that is focused on advocacy. Uh, Advocacy aimed at uh, Capitol Hill and Congress and the work being uh, done up uh, by members of Congress at, uh, on legislation. Uh, it means also advocacy aimed at federal agencies, uh, whether it's HHS or CMS or the Veterans Administration, uh, as well as uh, state government affairs and advocacy aimed at state legislatures. And of course, uh, tying that all together is the work that we do with our grassroots program uh, and our political action committee known as uh, PT Black. Okay, so there's so much going on, Justin. Um, so let's break it down for our listeners. There's been a ton of activity by Congress to address the COVID pandemic. Can you provide a recap of the bills that have been enacted thus far? Yeah, there absolutely has been a lot of legislative activity uh, up on Capitol Capitol Hill ever since the pandemic started. And we saw Congress begin to put uh, together relief packages uh, beginning back in uh, early March. And uh, you'll hear a lot of discussion when uh, folks talk about uh, the legislation that Capitol Hill has done Uh, known as phases, Uh, and and Congress has done a very staged, phased approach uh, to the relief packages. Uh, And the first bill that Congress uh, enacted, which was back on March 6, known as COVID Phase 1, was a bill known as uh, the Coronavirus Preparedness and Response Supplemental Appropriations Act, uh, which was H.R. 6074. Now, that bill, the first bill, was uh, about $8.3 billion and was primarily focused on providing funding uh, for research and development of a vaccine, along with additional funding to uh, help try at that time, try to prevent uh, the spread of the virus. Uh, Shortly thereafter, less than two weeks after that bill was signed into law on March 6th, Congress passed the next bill or the phase two uh, legislative package which was uh, H.R. 6201, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Now, that bill was a little bit more. It was $100 billion. And the focus of that bill was really trying to get money out uh, to assist with, assist with emergency paid sick leave, uh, food assistance, uh, additional and expanded unemployment uh, uh, benefits. And that became law uh, back on March 18th. And then they moved on to the third phase, uh, which was known as the CARES Act. And this was the big one. This was the bill that was signed into law back on March 27th. Uh, it's known as H.R. 748. It was a major stimulus package, over $2 trillion, largest stimulus package ever passed um, by the federal government. And the CARES Act uh, really uh, covered a lot of areas, um, a mammoth bill that really uh, – uh, did a number of, of, um, of things, uh, provided uh, direct stimulus checks uh, to uh, folks uh, who qualified, 
Um, it provided a number of, of um, uh, assistance to small businesses, uh, primarily with the creation of a program known as the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, it provided uh, assistance to states, uh, expanded unemployment benefits, uh, provided some additional funding for uh, health care, as well as doing some work with uh, student loans. And so that was a, a huge bill uh, that has had a wide-ranging uh, effect. Now, as we record this podcast, we are waiting for the president to sign a bill known as, that's uh, been labeled CARES 3.5. And this was a bill that uh, the Senate uh, passed on Tuesday, April 21st. Uh, the House passed it on Thursday, the 23rd. And here we are on April 24th waiting for the president to sign this. Uh, this smaller package, you know, this CARES 3.5, uh, was a very targeted uh, bill that was really uh, aimed at providing additional money uh, to the initial CARES Act, which was signed into law back on March 27th. And that is because uh, the CARES Act, um, primarily the money that was set aside for small business loans, uh, they burned through that money pretty quickly. And so Congress needed to go back this week and shore up uh, some of those uh, small business loans and support programs. But now Congress has turned its eyes uh, to uh, what's known as COVID Phase 4, the next legislative package, which we hope uh, will be enacted um, in early to mid-May, more likely uh, mid-May. Uh, so a lot of legislation over a very short amount of time and a lot of money that is being pumped into the economy, uh, two individuals, two small businesses. And what we saw with the first uh, three major packages and then the supplemental package, the 3.5, is really a focus on trying to stabilize the economy, get money out for testing and uh, vaccine development, and also provide uh, support to individuals, to entities, and to uh, the healthcare system. So a lot of work and more to come. So Justin, you mentioned the CARES Act, which is the phase three legislative package enacted by Congress. Uh, What are some of the big items in the bill that impact education and small business? Yeah, so the CARES package uh, uh, provided $30 billion in education funding. Um, what I think is of interest to, to students is that uh, this provided temporary relief for federal student loan borrowers. Um, it defers federal student loan payments, principal, and interest uh, for six months through September 30th of, of 2020 without penalty to the borrow, borrower for all federally owned loans. It also uh, suspends any wage garnishment or tax refund reduction for those who have defaulted uh, on federal student aid loans. And so that was a big pack, uh, part of the package uh, of, the, uh, of the education provisions. Um, in addition, um, it also provides um, exclusion for certain employer payments uh, for student loans. And what that means is that it enables employers to provide a student loan repayment benefit to an employee on a tax-free basis. And so under this provision, uh, an employer may contribute up to $5,250 annually uh, towards an employee's student loans, and such uh, that such payment would be excluded from the employee's income. And so that means that would not be uh, taxable. And so this $5,250 applies to both new student loan repayment benefits as well as other educational assistance uh, provided by uh, an employer. And so um, I thought that, that that's a, uh, another uh, uh, piece that was in uh, the education funding in the CARES Act. And then finally, uh, there was a, a 14.25 uh, 
$1.5 billion set aside uh, that is specifically for use by colleges and universities. And of that 14.25, uh, 6.28 billion is set aside to, for colleges and universities uh, to help students out and reimburse students uh, for expenses related to disruptions in their education due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, so these, this is for things like course materials, technology, as well as things like food and housing and healthcare and childcare. Um, and so um, APTA, along with a number of other uh, health care provider organizations, uh, we did do a sign-on letter uh, back in early March when CARES, this CARES package was coming together, uh, and we specifically asked and advocated uh, to Congress that they needed to do something with higher education, that they needed to include relief, not just for colleges and universities, but also for students and student loans. And so we will see, uh, you know, so we, we are pleased that they included this $30 billion in education funding uh, to assist students and, and to assist uh, universities and to, to spend uh, the federal student loan payments. Um, we are hopeful that we will see potentially maybe some additional assistance coming uh, in the COVID uh, phase four package. Now, there uh, in the CARES package, there was um, uh, a lot of funding that w- went towards um, small business uh, and not only things like uh, additional tax credits to help uh, small businesses, but two major loan programs. Uh, one is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, um, and the other one is the Paycheck Protection Program. Now, the Paycheck Protection Program is one that's gotten um, a good deal of press uh, because the rollout of this new program uh, by a Small Business Administration uh, was a little bit rocky. Uh, they certainly had some hiccups, um, and there has been some fallout because some companies that folks would not consider to be small businesses have gotten loans, and we've seen that in the news as well. But, you know, this is a, a, a good program for a lot of our, our small businesses, healthcare clinics. Uh, this is a, a clinic. Uh, this is, these are loans that um, will have about a 1% interest rate. Um, uh, and, and I think the federal government is also looking at these loans. They're calling them loans. But there is an understanding that most likely the uh, federal government will end up probably forgiving most of these loans because, again, they're trying to get money out to these qualified small businesses um, to help ensure that they are able to maintain payroll and keep their businesses open. Um, and so that's something that will help stimulate the economy and hopefully uh, help with the recovery uh, uh, as we go through the next uh, several months. And now for a quick break. Official guidance is changing rapidly as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to evolve. APTA set up a webpage to keep you informed at www.apta.org coronavirus. Please visit regularly and stay safe. We're all in this together. And now let's return to the show. So it's pretty obvious that the CARES Act is pretty all-encompassing and big. Uh, so what are some other items that impact healthcare providers? Yeah, there are a couple of major provisions. And the first one is that in the CARES Act, um, they created a fund known as the Public Health Service Emergency Fund. And this is a $100 billion pot of money that is meant to go directly uh, to healthcare providers and facilities to assist them um, during this crisis. Um, and so we saw uh, about two weeks ago, uh, HHS began distributing the first round of, of funding uh, directly to healthcare providers. And so about two weeks ago, um, providers should have gotten um, 
uh, eligible providers uh, should have gotten a direct deposit into their accounts um, with some stimulus money. Now, this is for folks who had to be eligible. These are for Medicare enrolled individual providers. These are folks who have been billing Medicare and they were billing Medicare last year and in 2019. And the amount of money was uh, proportionally based on the provider's billing record in 2019. So basically that, you know, they looked at how much Medicare billing you did in 2019 and used a formula to determine how much providers were, were going to uh, 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 receive with this uh, Medicare, with this uh, uh, public health emergency fund distribution. Uh, we anticipate that HHS is going to continue uh, doing round after round of, of disbursements from this fund. Uh, the next round will probably go primarily towards hospitals uh, that are dealing uh, with uh, uh, the COVID pandemic, with hospitals who have uh, a high COVID uh, uh, percentage of patients receiving more uh, funding assistance. And then, you know, I mentioned that uh, the supplemental package, the CARES 3.5 uh, billion that was just enacted uh, by the House uh, last night, which we anticipate will be signed by the president today, uh, that also added some additional money to this fund. And so we hope we are hopeful that we will see additional distribution distributions uh, coming in the weeks ahead, particularly for physical therapists. And we are aware that a number of our members did receive um, uh, some of these direct deposits from HHS to assist with them. Uh, another thing that we are we we're pleased to see in the package is that uh, beginning on May 1st and through the end of this year, uh, Medicare is going to temporarily stop doing what's known as a sequestration cut. Uh, now, right now, every Medicare provider, when they are reimbursed for services provided to a Medicare beneficiary, uh, they get a, a 2% cut right off the top. And this is what's known as the 2% sequestration. Um, and just a little bit of history, uh, the sequestration cut was in, implemented back in 2011, almost 10 years ago, uh, under a law called the Budget, Budget Control Act of 2011. It was passed in 2011, started in 2013, and this 2% cut was meant to try to uh, get federal spending under control with that money going towards the national debt. Um, it has been an, an area of frustration uh, for us because, um, obviously, uh, uh, we are seeing our providers getting this 2% cut on top of their uh, reimbursement from Medicare. Uh, but the good news is, uh, beginning on May 1st and through the end of the year, uh, physical therapists, along with all other healthcare providers uh, under Medicare, are going to see a, a slight bump, a little 2% bump uh, in their Medicare reimbursement throughout the uh, end of the year. And so that is something that will, you know, again, is intended to at least provide some assistance in terms of financial assistance uh, and, again, trying to stabilize uh, not only the healthcare system but also uh, the economy. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit, Justin, and talk about telehealth. Uh, so some of our members are utilizing telehealth to continue practicing and seeing patients. Um, some of them have used it previously to the pandemic, and some are new to telehealth. Um, so can you tell us the status uh, for PTs and telehealth under Medicare as of right now? Well, yeah, telehealth has been a really interesting uh, area because we have seen, since the beginning of March, an evolution in telehealth um, that we, we uh, has really pushed telehealth ahead. Um, some of the things that the federal government has done in just the last few weeks, we did not expect for them to do in probably in the next five to seven years. So we've seen a fast evolution and expansion of telehealth um, under Medicare, as well as private payers. Um, 
Now, our concern is to make sure that physical therapy and physical therapists and physical therapist assistants uh, can utilize telehealth under Medicare. A lot of, you know, private insurance is actually way ahead in the game, and they have expanded their payment policies to allow for it under um, – uh, for, uh, for certain these services provided by PTs and PTAs. Medicare is actually kind of uh, a little bit behind the ball in terms of, of ensuring uh, PTs and PTAs can utilize telehealth. Um, you know, we saw at the beginning of March um, the, the administration uh, doing a lot of what are known as emergency waivers. Uh, this is something that the president can do during a declared national emergency is uh, implement what's known as an 1135 waiver uh, which is allowed for uh, uh, national emergencies, public health emergencies. And that basically gives the federal government flexibility to loosen or, uh, you know, temporarily weaken uh, some of the regulations that they have in place. Now, the, the issue or the, the holdup for us has been, while they lifted an, a lot of the restrictions under telehealth, that primarily uh, impacted physicians, nurses, hospitals, uh, uh, who are already authorized providers of telehealth under Medicare, under the Medicare law. You know, currently right now, uh, PTs and PTAs are not authorized providers under federal law uh, to provide uh, services via telehealth. This is something that we, along with our friends at AOTA and ASH and a number of other groups, have been trying to change uh, for the last couple of years. And so while we were uh, pleased to see a, a lot of the uh, expansion and, and flexibility provided to telehealth, it didn't impact us because we were not uh, – they did not have the legal authority to add us into the program. Now, one of the things that the CARES Act did is that it included language in the law that basically said, we're going to give HHS and the administration even more flexibility uh, under these emergency waivers and uh, basically gave HHS the ability to add additional providers uh, uh, as authorized providers uh, of telehealth under Medicare law for the duration of the declared emergency. And so uh, we are eagerly waiting uh, for HHS to make the announcement that they are now going to add PTs as well as other providers, OT, speech, uh, as authorized providers. We anticipate and are hopeful uh, that that's going to happen uh, within the next week or so. So stay tuned because uh, we believe that that announcement is coming and that uh, PTs and PTAs w should be able to utilize um, telehealth for Medicare beneficiaries. Now, there is a catch, though. Uh, this waiver, the, uh, these emergency waivers, are only in effect during the declared national emergency. So whether it's three months from now, six months from now, or a year from now, or whenever, when the president declares that the emergency is over, all of those flexibilities that were provided under these emergency waivers go away. And so this is really more just a short-term solution. We need a long-term permanent policy solution. And that's one of the reasons that while we are, are working with HHS to try to get us added to this emergency waiver, we are also still working with Congress to say we need a permanent solution uh, to telehealth. And because, again, we don't know what the next several months or years even have in store, and we believe that right now our patients need flexibility and options and stability, and we need to be able to have them access our services, not only for the short term during this pandemic, but for the long term as well. Okay, so Justin, you mentioned the COVID Phase 4 package, which is the next bill Congress is going to consider. Uh, what are we advocating for in that bill, and what's the timeline? 
So, yeah, um, you know, uh, Congress is beginning work on the COVID phase four package. Um, and we anticipate that this will be a pretty expansive uh, package that will, again, attempt to address a number of issues um, to address the pandemic. Now, APTA um, is uh, and has uh, advocated for inclusion of a number of policy priorities to Congress in this next uh, uh, COVID phase four package. Um, and on April 14th, um, Sharon Dunn, APTA's president, sent a letter to Capitol Hill. This was a letter that went to every Hill office, to the Speaker of the House, to the Senate Majority Leader. It also went to the administration, to the uh, vice president, to the HHS secretary. That really outlined what we see as policy priorities uh, in the next COVID package. One of those pa- uh, one of those priorities is telehealth. You know, now, as, you know, as I mentioned, was just talking about, um, while we anticipate that we will be added as to the emergency waiver for the short term, that ability to provide via services under telehealth is going to go away once that emergency, once the emergency is declared over. We need a permanent policy solution. And so one of the things we are telling Congress that they need to include in the next uh, COVID phase four package is a bill called the Connect for Health Act. It's H.R. 4932 and Senate Bill 2741. Now, this is a bipartisan bill. It was introduced months ago before uh, the current pandemic. And basically what the Connect for Health Act would do is uh, implement a permanent waiver uh, under Medicare to allow PTs, OTs, uh, speech audiologists, a number of providers to also be able to provide services uh, delivered via telehealth. And so we believe that, again, Congress needs a long-term solution on telehealth, uh, including the Connect for Health Act in COVID phase four is a, is a great start. Second, we need uh, policy priority. Our second policy priority is, ins- is ensuring stability in the healthcare system. Um, right now, there is a lot of instability. We know that there are clinics that have shut down. We know that uh, there's a, a lot of uh, concern about how we're going to reopen the economy. And so right now, we need to make sure that Medicare is stable and Medicaid. Now, the problem is, is that on January 1st, 2021, physical therapists, along with 35 or 36 other provider groups, are slated to receive some pretty deep cuts under Medicare. For physical therapy, we're looking at an 8% cut under Medicare. Um, and this is part of a, pro, uh, a proposal uh, to basically reevaluate and, and revalue uh, some of the codes that are utilized by Medicare. And so um, we think that, you know, we'll be just, you know, we don't know what the world's going to be like on January 1st, 2021. And implementing deep cuts across the board, not only to just to PTs, but to other providers, is really not a, a good idea. Uh, it provides instability and is going to be uh, is going to potentially have a harm not only on our providers but the patients we serve, particularly in rural and underserved areas. So we are pushing Congress to basically stop those cuts uh, that they need to uh, uh, provide additional funding so that uh, into the Medicare system to prevent those cuts from going into effect on January first. A third uh, policy priority is providing support to healthcare providers who are on the front lines. Uh, we are urging that Congress include funding for hazard pay uh, to assist healthcare providers who are, you know, again, on the front lines. We have PTs and PTAs um, who are providing uh, cardiopulmonary therapy to patients with COVID. They are in the emergency departments. Uh, they are working with patients who are coming off ventilators and have ICU-acquired uh, weakness. We also have providers uh, who are working in other uh, other settings who are providing physical therapy to prevent 
folks from having to be hospitalized or be readmitted. So we have a lot of our members who are on the front lines, and we believe that it is important to ensure that PTs, along with the nurses and physicians and all those other folks who are on the front lines, are provided hazard pay. Now, we know that additional hazard pay is not going to reduce the risk of exposure to this virus. And so that's one of the reasons we are also urging that Congress and the federal government has to do more when it comes to personal protection equipment. We need Congress and the federal government to uh, ensure there is a transparent, equitable process uh, streamlined to ensure the supply chain, supply chain uh, of PPE is, is, uh, is, is going to be lasting uh, not only just for the p- pandemic but beyond. And so we want to see an acceleration um, and distribu- uh, distribution of, of PPE. Um, you know, a fifth uh, uh, priority is that um, ensuring that we are providing additional economic support uh, specifically for healthcare providers with small businesses. Now, you know, I mentioned that uh, Congress has already implemented uh, the uh, through the CARES Act a number of pro- uh, programs designed uh, to help small businesses, uh, particularly the Paycheck Protection Program. But we also would like to see additional support specifically for healthcare providers who own small businesses. And so uh, we are endorsing a proposal uh, that has been put forward by a group of bipartisan uh, members of Congress in both the House and Senate called the Immediate Relief for uh, Rural Facilities and Providers Act. Uh, this is uh, legislation that would provide additional funding for health care providers, for health care clinics, um, and we are asking that Congress include that in the COVID phase four. Um, we are also asking to uh, uh, ensure that uh, Congress provide flexibility uh, for small businesses, particularly for PT clinics. And so we're asking them to expand a policy known as locum tenens. Uh, this basically allows folks who come in and work uh, temporarily uh, if a PT is uh, sick or on vacation or needs to take time off. And so this was a, a locum tenens policy was implemented back in 2016 for physical therapists, but it's limited to right now to only rural and underserved areas. And so we're saying to Congress to expand that nationwide to all geographical areas. You know, we're looking ahead and knowing that there may be uh, members who are going to be, uh, who may become sick and need to take time off. And we need those therapists to have flexibility to be able to bring in other therapists to temporarily fill in for them and be able to build Medicare for that. Um, we're also advocating to ensure uh, that Congress protects students with disabilities. And this is a big issue because um, there was, has been a push to give the Secretary of Education broad authority to waive a number of federal education laws, which, you know, in, in theory uh, is not necessarily, you know, something that would provide some flexibility, but our concern is primarily with the Individuals with Disability Education Act, known as IDEA. And that's a civil rights bill. Uh, that is a bill designed to protect the civil rights of students with disabilities. And that is something that we are very concerned about any waivers uh, being given. We think there is enough flexibility right now under the IDEA law, and we don't want to uh, see any, you know, any additional waivers or, or um, efforts to undermine that civil rights law. And then finally, uh, we know that um, there are patients who have COVID who face a long and difficult road to recovery. Um, we are seeing the impact uh, that this virus has on patients' cardiopulmonary systems, muscle weakness, um, and folks are going to need uh, extensive rehab. 
both short-term and long-term. And so um, a lot of Americans receive their health care through community health centers. And right now, uh, the current law really restricts physical therapists from providing physical therapy services in community health centers and directly billing Medicare and Medicaid. And so knowing that, you know, 29 million Americans receive their health care through community health centers, and there's going to be a percentage of those who are going to need physical therapy services to recover from COVID, um, both short and some are going to have uh, uh, disabilities for the rest of their life because of this virus. And so we want to make sure that they have access to physical therapy services. And that's why we were telling Congress that they need to uh, include in the COVID phase four package a bill known as the Primary Health Services Enhancement Act, H.R. 5693. Uh, this is a bill that would add physical therapists to community health centers so that they could directly provide their services and directly bill Medicare and Medicaid uh, services. So those are some of our policy priorities. We anticipate that Congress is going to take up uh, COVID phase four, hopefully uh, by mid-May, and uh, definitely stay tuned. So, Justin, before I let you go, uh, I first want to just point out uh, that you just made the case for um, how hard APTA staff is working on behalf of the profession and its members um, and uh, how closely um, you guys are paying attention to what's going on on Capitol Hill and then in the states as well. And so um, first, I just want you to uh, offer any tips or advice uh, or take home messages that you want to offer uh, listeners today. And then two, um, and, and this is general um, as well as specific to uh, the COVID pandemic, but um, can you tell listeners a little bit about how they can get involved in professional advocacy and uh, where they can find out more information about all these issues and APTA's policy priorities? Yeah, well, let's start with that. I think, first of all, one take-home message is absolutely advocate and to stay involved. And we have a template letter right now uh, not only on the APTA Legislative Action Center, but also our Patient Access Center, which you can access by going to APTA.org and click on the Advocacy tab, as well as uh, via the APTA Action app that you can download to your smartphone. And we have a message that is going to Congress right now. Um, it really is asking them to include those seven policy priorities that I just outlined um, about what we want to see in COVID Phase 4. And so please, you know, make sure that you are uh, emailing uh, and, and tweeting and calling your members of Congress and asking them to include APTA's uh, policy priorities in the COVID Phase 4 package. Uh, and if you have questions or need anything, just email advocacy at um, APTA.org. I'd also say we have a number of resources that have background uh, that, you know, if you need information first, uh, is go to APTA.org forward slash federal advocacy. That has information on a number of our bills. Uh, APTA.org forward slash telehealth has all you need to know about everything going on with telehealth. Finally, APTA.org forward slash coronavirus. Uh, that's your one-stop shopping to know everything about what's going on and the work that APTA is doing uh, during the current uh, pandemic. You know, my second uh, uh, piece of advice is to stay informed. And uh, we have APTA is... Uh, putting together a lot of information and resources. Some of that's on the uh, web pages I just outlined. Um, and so make sure that um, if you haven't signed up for, you know, sign up for P-Team um, and check on the APTA website because we are updating that information uh, daily in terms of resources and news. And there's a lot going on. 
Um, and, you know, third is uh, stay safe and stay strong. Um, I know that right now for a lot of students, uh, this is uh, there's a lot of stress and anxiety, not only with, you know, the transition that folks have had to do with distant learning. Uh, we have a lot of stress right now in terms of graduates trying to, you know, make sure that they can sit for the NPTE. Um, we have folks who have had job offers uh, temporarily rescinded because of the pandemic, and we have folks who can't even interview for uh, positions because of the current shutdown. I know that this is stressful and uh, this is, uh, is difficult. Um, and APTA is doing everything we can uh, to provide information and resources uh, to help you out. Um, and so just uh, definitely stay safe and stay strong and we will definitely get through this. Justin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Thank you so much. To get the latest information from APTA pertaining to COVID-19, visit www.apta.org slash coronavirus. And to get information about APTA's advocacy, policy priorities, and how you can advocate for your profession, visit www.apta.org slash APTA advocacy. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Amelia Sullivan. Thanks for listening.